Uh, hello to everybody online. Glad you're watching. Uh, if you're camping, hello. Uh, it's about time to button that up, though, don't you think? And uh, get rolling. So uh, we're in a series called Thunderdome. Very simple. That there's there's issues in life that that are quite the battle. I mean, there's some soft stuff. You can you have fun with your friends and talk about it, and you don't start fights with family members over it. But then there's other topics that you're like, bring that up in a safe place. And uh, this is a safe place. And so we've been talking about stuff that, uh, from pain and suffering to the legitimacy of the Bible. And uh, I thought we'd go light this week. Uh, how about how much are you worth? Okay, we, we'll just start there, is what is your current value? I, I have a, uh, an online um, budget system that our family uses, and it always tells me, here's how much you're worth, and it's rarely impressive. And, and so, you, but like, if you, once you get a job and you start looking at the future, sometimes people will talk to you about what are you worth, and they, they are talking about like finances and property and things like that. But I want to get a bit more literal. I, I researched 10 years ago, uh, an, a, an article was, was made public by the New York Times, and apparently the government was asking this question, uh, what is the value of a human life? Financially, like if you want to, not, not philosophically, like, like what are you uh, at, like just worth? And so like a good government work, the different departments came back with different answers. Uh, sorry, that was me. Anyways, uh, <laughs> Environmental Protection Agency said that, that you as a human being, just you, you're worth 9.1 million. Some of us are encouraged by this. We're like, this is... This is sweet. How do I cash out on that? That's your problem if you, you can't. Uh, the Food and Drug Administration said 7.9 million. By the way, this has actually been increasing. When they first did this, uh, you know, it was in the five millions and it's been increasing. Transportation Department doesn't appear to uh, really think much of you and I. Uh, six, six million. I mean, it's a not, not a whole lot. But just so you know, the government is assessing consistently what you're actually financially worth. Um, if you look into the legal world, you'll find out some sad news there as well. You'll learn that um, if you were to die and it was a wrongful death, that there's typically lawsuits and things like that. And, and it's where people begin and, and closed doors talk about the value of a human life. Uh, they've even got into details like your actual physical body. I know this is weird, okay, but just track me, okay? that they say that the basic elements of the human body, like, like what you're actually made up of, has a much smaller value of $118,000 if I think the stat was if you weigh 175 pounds, which I did not research why that was relevant. <laughs> but if you don't know this, uh, in many instances, if you're in the military and you die based on your rank and based on what you've done and we're doing, and oftentimes there's financial amounts that go to your family based on your value. Uh, if no one's ever talked to you about life insurance, I'm not here to sell you any, but uh, sometimes when you begin to grow up, you begin to have someone at least talk to you about life insurance, meaning, if you die, where does this money go and how much? And uh, my research says that the largest one, at least th that I could find, uh, uh, some guy in Silicon Valley got a life insurance policy. What I read said it was the largest one ever, uh, $201 million if he were to have 
uh, died according to what the insurance company said was legit. That's how that works. Not trying to be all dark on you, by the way. I know you're like, whoa. Uh, but I gotta take you still a little bit further here. When I ask you about what you think you're worth, like, like literally what, what do you think your, your, your value is? Most of us are familiar with the Golden Gate Bridge. I can give you some history about the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, it's, it's now over 80 years old, but as soon as it got built and, and was in operation, um, pretty soon after, individuals began to use the Golden Gate Bridge to end their lives. And so people would, would go to the bridge uh, if, I mean, and would, would jump off the bridge, and uh, well over 1,000 people have committed suicide off of that one bridge. From near the beginning, uh, there, there's, a there's multiple committees and, and organizations that help um, like actually run the Golden Gate Bridge and to make it operational and pretty and all that kind of stuff. And they began from the very beginning of the debate, like, should we do something about the suicides that are happening uh, on the bridge that we put in place? And they debated it, and I'm not joking, for decades. Going, we don't know what to do, we don't know what to do. So here's what they've recently decided to do, and, and I actually have a picture of it. Uh, they decided to put up a, a suicide net at the Golden Gate Bridge. This is actually, like, this is pretty recent history. In fact, what I read is, is they're actually not quite done. Apparently there was a pandemic, slowed things down. But this, this net is still being installed. What, the reason I'm telling you about this is, is this late decision was made uh, at the price tag of $76 million. That's what got my attention was that this committee had been debating for decades about what do we do, what do we do, should we do it, and finally they determined that $76 million was worth investing in putting a net so that if someone were to jump off of the bridge, they wouldn't die. Now, what, I gotta give you more. A spokesperson for the organization leading this says, it's important to understand the value of the lives lost. Those who jump are often doctors, lawyers, teachers, people who can contribute a great deal to society. Saving them means adding to our community. Now before you think I love that answer, I'm gonna tell you I don't. And I want you to think about value. So, so here's, the, here's a couple questions. I've, I've asked a little bit of it, but let me, like what is a human life worth and who determines the value? Because if, if I ask this, you should begin to process, okay, what does make one person valuable and can one person be more valuable than another person? Let me ask some more questions. When does your value begin? Uh, when does your value end? Is it age related? Is it skill set related? Is it contribution related? How about if you're a really good person, maybe a really healthy person, are you more valuable than, let's say, someone who's not very healthy or, or not very good? If you're in prison, did that lower your value? If you've done bad things that people know about, are you less valuable than the person who's done bad things and nobody knows about them? Do you see the complexity to this that I think right now, culturally, would we not agree, I think we ought to agree, that we are very confused and jacked up about the value of a human being. So much so that it's become uh, grossly a political issue. The value of, of you. You are not a political issue. 
and we need to talk about it. Welcome to the Thunderdome. Uh, we can get answers, and this is what I want to walk you through. We can begin to get answers. I would rather not conclude, at least I think we can be mature enough to say, well, David, we're all just really special and good because that just feels right. I don't disagree with you that that feels right to say that, but I think there's a more mature answer that you and I can land at to where when you say what your value is or the value of your BFF or someone that you love or whatever, I wonder where you get that from. Where did you extract your value system for another human being or for yourself? Where'd you get that from? I'm gonna suggest where you ought to get that from, the creator. So yes, uh, immediately, if you're an atheist, you're like, I'm done, and I understand that, okay? I, I don't have time in this specific moment to prove to you that God exists. All I would suggest, if you don't believe that God exists, you are living by faith. You have to admit that to be intellectually honest, uh, as am I. I believe God is real and that he created the heavens and the earth and a whole, all the other stuff. When you begin to go, like, what is the value of a human being? When does that value start? When does that life start? When does it end? And what does it matter when it ends in healthy and good and bad? Where do we gather all that information to create a construct to say, this is the value of a human being? Where do we get that? Creator and creation. You go to the very beginning. That is the most honest, uh, that is the best approach to take. If you want to know what the value is, you go to the guy who made it. Got me? Okay. So, let's read. You don't have to read out loud. For those of you who haven't been in church, like, do I read that out loud? No, you don't. Then God said, let us, now I know you're like, God, and then there's us. Yes, that's a whole nother sermon series about what's called the Trinity. And you're like, that got weird real quick. I agree with you. Um, if you want to know if there's everything we can explain, you need to watch the first sermon, or the sermon I talked about where I talked about the, you know, the age of enlightenment where we can't explain everything. But anyways, then God said, let us, let us, so God decides that he's going to do something. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. This is the bidding. This is the record we have. Uh, they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let me sum that up. You probably have read that before, at least heard that. Human life is created by God in the image of God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe there is one God who is the leader of everything, the authority over all, and you're like, okay, yes, David, I am a follower, I am a Christian, yes, then what you have said that you believe is that God made you and I, and he made you with his image. The problem is, many of us are like, <clears throat> does that mean we look like him? When I say image, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? If you're an American, you're like, what he looks like. When I say we were created in his image, and he's like, okay, that's what the verse said, we're made in his image, at first glance, you're like, okay, it's, it, it's what we look like, we must have like similar eyes and nose and ears and legs and arms, and, and they don't have to look exactly the same, but like the basic mold. So what I wanna do, if you've never had this taught to you, is teach you what the image of God really actually is. 
because you'll notice that we all look different. Can we admit that? Some of us can admit that. Not all, we, we all do look different, just so you know. Uh, but, but, but watch, here, here, this, is, this is your lesson. If you've never been taught this. If you've never been taught this, please take notes. Being created in the image of God means we are created for a relationship with God. Uh, th- there's a reason that it was written in such a way about let us make, let us, there's this relationship with the Trinity. In other words, God, three parts, there's some relationship going on, but then you see this, the details of, it appears as though God has some sort of a relationship with the people that he's made, and it's different than his relationship with the fish, just to pick something random. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid. Now, here's what this part of the Bible is if you're new to it. Uh, they, uh, they disobeyed God. They, they literally did like the one thing he said, don't do it. Like you got like, no rules except for this rule. Just don't do this. And like, okay, we broke that rule. So now uh, we're about to have this encounter between God and Adam and Eve because they broke the rule. They sinned. And there's this whole jacked up system now. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Typically, uh, a pastor like myself will bring this up and be like, yep, see, sin, it's bad. And I agree with that sin is bad. But you know there's a whole lesson, a whole other lesson in that? Do you notice what it doesn't say? Do you notice that Adam and Eve weren't spooked at the idea that God had showed up? Do you notice that God doesn't have to say, hey, excuse me, sorry, sorry, it's me. Don't freak out because it's me. He didn't have to say, I know I never talked to you. I know I, know I never like roam around with you. I, there, there was no awkwardness of who he was. There was no like, oh my goodness, we did not expect you, God, to show up. In fact, you can read in other places where God and Adam are interacting and then the animals are getting named and all that kind of stuff's going on. It appears to be, according to Scripture, that God and Adam and Eve in the garden walking was routine and extremely normal and expected. Almost as though the norm was a relationship with God. According to paradise in the beginning and before things got jacked up, there seemed to be that being made in the image of God, you and I are actually made with this design to crave and want a relationship with God and other people. If you've ever wondered when you get that feeling of loneliness, like why does everyone on planet Earth experience that emotion at some point, you were designed with this image in you and on you to want relationship. And God made that for you and put that in because he wants relationship. When it talks about how you and I, and we're trying to discover what's our value, what's our value, what's our value, this is important because if God wants a relationship with you, that speaks to your value. If he doesn't want a relationship with you, that speaks to your value. Just like some of us felt in middle school when we weren't picked or we were dumped, or we weren't invited. You, you want me to keep moving on? Because I know that's painful, at least for me it is. I don't want to think about that. But that's important for you to know. If you want to know your value, you have to know the fact that part of the image of God is, is that there's relationship. Let's keep going. 
Being created in the image of God means we are created to represent God. Like you are, you are a representative. Some people have used the word ambassador. But when the, when the words image of God exist in English, we don't always get the accurate understanding. So let me show you. Uh, if, if you were to break the word in the original language, when it says in our image, it can also be translated as as our image. So in other words, when the original readers were reading about what, how creation began and how God made you and I, it wasn't just that there was a relationship, but he made you as his image, which makes you, well, you have a responsibility. <laughs> it, it means that you, you and I aren't just like, hey, uh, so God likes us a whole lot, like obviously better than the hippos and the giraffes and the trees and the plants. Uh, I mean, you do notice that when God was making everything, that he doesn't say to like the pretty rose bush, um, I've made you in my image. Uh, he definitely didn't say it to cats, and I'll say that over and over and again, right? But even, even your favorite pet, your favorite whatever, do you notice just like sometimes to understand the Bible, you gotta know what it doesn't say. And it doesn't say that God made the waters in his own image, and the sky in his own image, and the animals in his own image. It also says that God was not making like these long walks in the garden with the deer, or the raccoons, or whatever. Notice what it says and learn from what it actually says. He made man and woman in his own image, with his image, to display his image, to represent him, which tells you and I a ton about our value. So let's go to the Bible. Then God said, like, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And, and it details that that's not just like, I just made you the coolest, so brag about it. No, they will reign over the fish in the sea. I gotta say something, and I think it's weird, but I gotta say it because for some reason it's a, it's a train of thought. You and a fish are not equal. Uh, don't worry, there's more to teach here. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky. My family loves to bird watch. I love to watch my family bird watch. Birds are kind of fun, eagles are sweet, that, all that kind of stuff's cool. You are not equal to a bird. I know you're like, well, of course, no, that is a mainstream thought that animals and humans are the same value. Am I suggesting that because we are different values that we should disregard animals and not take care of them? No, except for cats. But anyways, they will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock. Again, you don't need me to keep doing this. The livestock. All the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. What you need to be told, what we need to be reminded of because culture is going to tell you some jacked up stuff is that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you believe your value comes from God, and you're like, okay, so tell me more. It means that you have the image of God. You are made in the image of God, which means you are different than the animals, according to God. You are different than the mountains, and the skies, and the storms, and the sun. They don't have his image. So you see these responsibilities. So here, valuing life comes with responsibilities. I'm sorry. Huh? 
So there's your basic Bible lesson about your value in the image of God. You needed to know that. Hopefully you now know that, that there is, there's relationship that's wrapped up in the image, relationship with God. And there's representation, responsibility in this, carrying this image of God. So let's really hone in on the value of life. There's an approach being taken that I'm going to put on the center of the target. So this might be the last time I see you. So legislation won't fix our confusion about human value. Just gonna stay here for a second. Is Pastor David saying it doesn't matter what laws we have? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you and I, as a culture, as a nation, are majorly confused about what human being is valuable and what makes them valuable. Your skin color does not make you valuable. Your gender, your sexual cravings, where you come from, how much money, your background, none of that makes you valuable. And so we live in a culture now who is desperate to lock onto what is true and what really makes us valuable. And I'm going to tell you, the fix is not legislation. If legislation worked, it means there would not be murders. But there are. If legislation worked, it means you don't speed. You want to talk about that much more? You see, legislation does not fix immorality. Legislation does not step in and fill a void that only God can fill. It's why Jesus himself came and he said, hey, the law was like not even like the full fix and was like broken as it was. It did some good, but you need more. So here's the statement. Here, that every human life is valuable. Every single human life is valuable. If you want to know what I'm saying, I've made quite a few notes so that I'm not misinterpreted. <laughs> no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, young, old, healthy, or near death. No matter any detail that you could talk to me about, about you, none of that moves any levers on your value. Every single human being has value that you and I do not hold the authority to mess with. And if you want to know how severe this is, because it's severe, what I'm talking about is weighty. Let me take you something to, to okay. Genesis 9, so you see the reference. You can look this up to make sure I'm not making this up. And I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands, for God made human beings very, wow, does that not seem random in the midst of this conversation? We're talking about murder, right? We're talking about animals killing human beings. Intense, I get it. But then all of a sudden, how you and I were made, the image that you and I bear gets brought up. In other words, connecting it to our value. Our value is directly connected to God. 
That's why I tell you at the very beginning, if you want to know who's valuable, like, like are there elites? Are there non-elites? Are there people we should throw away? Are there people that we should just say, I, I don't even want to talk to you? This, this set of verses says this, the accountability for taking a life reveals how valuable God views life. What I wanted you to see in the weightiness of what God put in scripture was he was gonna hold and does hold us accountable for how we treat other human beings. And when God says, I mean, there's some things God says, you know, I'm gonna give you a choice. You know, you, you wanna go left, you wanna go right? And like, cool, I'll just pick whatever I want. You wanna just go enjoy the ocean or the mountains? Cool. But when God says, oh, wait a minute, I want you to do this and I am gonna hold you accountable, you should go, okay. If you wanna know how God views human value, he literally is holding animals accountable who kill a human being. The church has majorly screwed up on this conversation. Uh, when I talk about the value of human life, I would imagine some of you at some point during this sermon have wondered, is he going to talk about um, the mass murders? Is he going to talk about suicide or assisted suicide, most specifically? Is he going to talk about abortion? Is he going to... And unfortunately, for as long as I've at least been alive, the church has messed this up horribly, where we have done a brilliant job at shaming people for whatever decisions they've ever made in their past. We've done a brilliant job at thinking that legislation would fix people's moralities and their souls, and we have learned that that is absolutely incorrect. So I have not regularly preached on a lot of those items because I know that when I bring them up, people begin to feel shame so quickly. And we begin to attribute value. In fact, some of you right now, I just brought up abortion, and you might have, you might have had an abortion at some part of your life, and you're like, oh, I don't want to even hear this from him. I'm not here to shame you at all, at, 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 at all. In fact, what I want us to all hear is, no matter what you've ever done in your life, whatever decision you've ever made, you actually are on equal playing field because here, every human needs forgiveness. And frankly, I'm gonna say this as a pastor, I'm sick and tired of Christians isolating certain sins, elevating them and making them so political that the rest of the world thinks that that is what is most important to us, to where you feel shame and you don't experience the forgiveness of our Jesus. And so you have pastors like me who very sheepishly go after topics like abortion and suicide and assisted suicide and murders because there's a lot of people going, is, am I even going to be welcome here? In fact, statistics tell me that if you've had an abortion, you are scared out of your mind to ever bring that up with anyone in the church. Most people never bring it up with another Christian at all. It's your secret. If you've ever contemplated, maybe for someone that you love, that if they're struggling at the end of their life and you're thinking, if I just help them die, perhaps that would like end their pain and that would be the great thing to do, but you don't tell any of your Christian friends because of what a shame will be thrown at you. And so yes, I will tell you, if you need me to say this as blatant as possible, I believe scripture is absolutely clear that every human being, that means inside the womb and outside the womb, 
That means like 10 years old and 100 years old, and if you even go past that, good for you. you are, it's all the same value. And God holds accountable how we treat human life. But it needed to be said that everyone has value and everyone, you better believe, needs forgiveness. So I sat in my office like, how do I finish a sermon with that being said? And I'm a dad, so I have a library. And I'm going to read you a book. I'm going to treat you like one of my kids. And you have to endure at least a five-minute story from Pastor David. The odd thing about this book, uh, my wife gave it to me for my 24th birthday. The details behind that is I was about to become a dad. My kids have since gotten a hold of it. And there's just random, who knows what these scribblings mean. But I want to read something to you. So if you wouldn't mind, get comfortable. If you're at your camper, get comfortable. The Wemmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wemmick uh, was different. Some had big noses. Others had large eyes. Some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats, but all were made by the same carver and all lived in the village. And all day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. Listen to this. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the streets all over the city, people spent their days sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or paint chipped, The Wemmicks gave dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still others knew big words or could sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. It made them want to do something else and get another star. Others, though, could do little. They got dots. Punchinello, give you an example of Punchinello. This is what I do with my kids. We take a pause and look at the pictures. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, so the people would give him even more dots. Then when he would try to explain why he fell, He would say something silly, and the Wemmicks would give him more dots. After a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid he would do something dumb, such as forget his hat or step in the water, and then people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many gray dots that some people would come up and give him one for no reason at all. He deserves lots of dots. The wooden people would agree with one another. He's not a good wooden person. After a while, Punchinello believed them. I'm not a good Wemmick, 
I'm not a good Wemmick. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say. The few times he went outside, he hung out with other Wemmicks who had lots of dots. He felt better around them. One day he met a Wemmick who was unlike anyone he had ever met. She had no dots or stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers, it's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots. So they would run up to her and give her a star, but it would fall off. Others would look down on her for having no stars, so they would give her a dot, but it wouldn't stick on her either. That's the way I want it to be, thought Punchinello. I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the workshop with him. Why? Well, why don't you find out for yourself? Go up the hill, he's there. And with that, the Wemmick, who had no stickers, turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello cried out. Lucia didn't hear, so Punchinello went home. He sat near a window and watched the wooden people as they scurried around giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself. So he decided to go see Eli. Now, picture time, you gotta see. So he's about to see Eli. Okay, online people. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into the big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here, and he turned to leave. Then he heard his name. Punchinello? The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name? Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up and set him on the bench. Hmm. The maker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I, I tried really hard. Oh, oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No. And you shouldn't either. Who are they to give you stars or dots? They're Wemmicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, and I think you're pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Like, why? I can't walk fast, I can't jump, my paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on his small wooden shoulders and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't even know what to say. 
Every day, I've been hoping that you would come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know. She told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. He just answered, I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled, you will, uh, but it'll take time. You've got a lot of marks. So for now, just come and see me every day and let me remind you, let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the Wemmick walked out the door, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. I don't know what you think about yourself. I know what the statistics say. I know my own personal battles with self-esteem and value. I know I have yet to ask someone, hey, do you ever wrestle with what you think about yourself and no one has ever told me I've never had that problem ever in my life? Everyone always tells me that there's something that they are insecure about and they're wrestling with. And I think it makes sense that in our culture nowadays, we don't know whose value or why they're valuable, and we just go back and forth, and we pick differences about each other, and we begin to say, well, that's what makes you important, or no, this is what makes you important. Or, If you want to know what a follower of Jesus Christ believes, is it doesn't matter what you look like, how young or old you are, you are made by the Creator, and you bear His image, which means that you are loved by Him, Value locked in, no argument. And I hope that you know from our church to you that we love you. And no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've been about, and what you think, and even what you believe, we think you're valuable. But better than that, your creator thinks you're absolutely wonderful. The value of human life is not difficult. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thanks for meeting with us. Lord, I pray that uh, as we all go about doing our weeks and our months, as the seasons change, as relationships change, as jobs change, as income changes, as health changes, as acceptance changes, all the changes, God, would you remind us daily that you are our maker, our creator, and our value is in you. Lord, I pray specifically for those right now who have felt shame and who have felt rejected by the church because of any decision they've made. God, would you correct our errors, our sin, and specifically remind people how much you love them. Thank you for giving us value. 
Help us to live in that, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.